think of McDonald's. McDonald's is uh, has been in this game for 60 years. They've been systemizing since day dot, and to try and compete with them would be like trying to compete with an Olympic athlete without any sort of training or build-up. Like, you, you, you want to systemize how McDonald's did 60 years ago, not how McDonald's is today. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's guest hails all the way from Melbourne, Australia, or at least in that area. He's about an hour and a half uh, south and east of uh, Melbourne. No, uh, west, pardon me. So with this, we have David Jennings, which is uh, an individual who also is friends with somebody else from Australia that we had on the show a couple of years ago, Pete Williams. So Pete Williams wrote the book, The Seven Levers. And so David has now written a new book on systemology. Now, one of the things that comes up in our interview is just the importance of having a system for all parts in our lives. And, you know, imagine you got on an airplane and the pilot says, listen, I forgot my checklist today. I think we'll just take off without it. What would your confidence level be? Wouldn't be very high, would it? Now, that's one of the things that CRG has done as sponsor of this show is that we have created systems in the way of our assessments so that you can consistently measure and identify key factors, uh, benchmark uh, certain categories in all areas of your life, if it's health and wellness or values or personality, uh, all of these come to bear to be able to benchmark where you're at and where you're going. And without them, it's just very difficult to be as successful as you could be. And so today we just want to mention again that our uh, values preference indicator, uh, our e-course, what do you really value in that system and that process will help you to clarify what your core motivational values are so that you can make the right decision every time. It is a very powerful process with our second most popular tool after the personal style indicator. So as always, thank you for being a Secrets of Success listener. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, let somebody else know about it, leave a positive comment, uh, let us know about possible guests uh, that might serve us or leave a question or a comment on any uh, platform and then we'll respond as best as we can. So here's our guest today, David Jennings talking really about systems and processes, but also a very interesting entrepreneurial story that he has to share today. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, I have the pleasure of having a guest all across the other side of the ocean. Now, you can't even tell that. I mean, welcome to the digital world, but our guest today joins us from the Melbourne, Australia area, just an hour and a half out of that. Welcome, David Jennings, to the show. It's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this episode. <laughs> well, well, it's 6 a.m. for David, and so, uh, and of course, you could be listening to this anytime. It could be 2032. We don't know. So just cut some David some slack because he's just waking up. Uh, and I'm just already into my third podcast recording for the day. So, hey, away we run. Now, off air, just before we got on, David actually is friends with uh, Peter, who was on the show a couple of years ago already. And it's interesting. They have some similar tracks in their story, and we'll just kind of get into it. So, again, David, thanks for taking the time and getting up early to kind of hang out with us. 
I'm looking forward to it. I'm curious to know what direction we're going to head. <laughs> well, we always like to hear the story uh, of the individuals that are there. You know, and as a young entrepreneur, we always want to tap into your energy and what's going on and what's happening. So just give us a little bit about your uh, growing up and just sort of your heritage as a kid and the family you grew up and what were some of the things going on there. I realized early on uh, that... Uh, or I didn't realize, but my dad had started planting the idea of systems in my brain from an early age. I remember dad creating a thing he called the sheet, which was a few page document where my brother and I could earn points over the course of the week for doing different activities, things like cleaning our bedroom, being good to our brother, saying prayers before bed, brushing our teeth. We even got points for depending on what time we went to bed. So I believe if I went to bed before 10 o'clock uh, on a Friday night, I could still earn two points. Now, keep in mind, I was about seven years old at the time. Uh, so... so Sorry, David, but you had a sophisticated bribery system early on. <laughs> That's exactly what it was, because at the end of the week, he would then tally up the points, and he was it was sophisticated, because he had this scoring legend where if I earned above 300 points for three weeks in a row, I would get an extra payout. So he had this little calculation for how much pocket money <laughs> that we would end up earning from playing this sheet. Um, Wow. Well, it's funny though. Seven I, years old, already being manipulated. I can't believe it. Exactly. And, and I, I followed it hook, line and sinker. So I figured out how to play the game incredibly well to maximize my payout. Uh, whereas it was funny looking at my brother, who was a couple of years older, he loathed the sheet. So I loved the sheet and he just did not want to take any part. If he scored any points, it was just by chance. Um, and it gave me kind of like an early appreciation, um, at least looking back now, that uh, not everybody is a systems person. Like I feel like the programming was there, but you, you've also uh, got to be ready to kind of uh, pick the system up and run with it and, and uh, enjoy the rules of the game, whereas he, he, he did not like it. So that, no, no, he that was, was a defiant individual. What, what did your dad do? What was his profession? Here we go. He was a systems engineer. Really? Boy, that's yeah. shocking. You know, it <laughs> sounded like he was like a rock star or a guitarist or something. No, absolutely not. Systems engineer, brought that home. Oh, man. So uh, what did your brother end up going in and doing after he uh, overcame the oppression of the checklist? <laughs> well, he ended up moving into the mental health space. So uh, just sort of in counselling and working with people in that space, so it was, yeah, a very different field for me, which was to follow my entrepreneurial uh, endeavours. So after you finished um, high school, what did you do then, David? I, when I finished school, I thought, I want to go where the money is. So I took out a loan to do one of those weekend learn how to trade the stock market courses, those ones that promise by Monday morning you'll be sitting on some island that you own as rich as Warren Buffett. Um, mm -hmm. and then how, I, did, I very, how did that go for you? <laughs> not so well. I was, uh, ended, I was living with mum at the time, uh, working in a uh, supermarket to pay back the $5,000 loan that I had, and I very quickly realised 
you uh, need money to trade the stock market. So all I had at that point was a big loan. Oh, joy, joy. So <laughs> gro uh, loan, grocery store, uh, then what? I then got interested. So a friend at the time that went through the same stock market education course, uh, we we recognized that a lot of people had problems using uh, the charting package that we'd learnt. So the, the platform was called Metastock and it was something that people used to look at the stock market and they really struggled with the technology, yet that's what we did quite well. So he and I wrote a study guide on how to use the platform and then ended up moving into selling it. And that's really what sparked my interest in online marketing and even just like classic direct response. So I started learning how to write copy and how to market things and then that led to uh, SEO and loading videos on YouTube and really kick things off as I was trying to build that business up and do the marketing for that side of things. Uh, great. Now where did this um, selling the cricket stadium with your uh, then nemesis, Peter, where did that fit in? That was around uh, a similar time. So I, I left school and I was reading a book called The One Minute Millionaire, which told the story of a, a New Jersey man who sold the Brooklyn Bridge for uh, 20 bucks. Basically, they were doing some renovations. He got his hands on some discarded wood, chopped it up into pieces and sold it off as uh, memorabilia. So I just read this book and that story. And I, I mean, was Mark Victor Han Hansen's and Robert Allen's book. Yes, you are. I'm, in the back, I'm actually in the back of that book, just a sidebar. I did the speaking for them in 20 years ago when the book was released. I need to get that book back out. That yeah, Wow, small world. I'll be um, hidden in the back. So, yes, that's one of the few books where uh, a story, just so people know, there's a story on one side and sort of a non-fiction story beside it, side by side. Yes, you are spot on and it, it's, it's fantastic. Like I was just eating those types of books for breakfast back in the day. I was reading as much as I could, listening as much as I could. I was on the internet consuming it all and I heard that idea and I was driving past the MCG. I saw they were doing some renovations. So for those who don't know, I'm sure Pete talked about it in his episode, but Australians, we are sports mad and for uh, like lack of a better analogy, the MCG, Melbourne Cricket Ground, is effectively like a religious icon for us. It's like our mm -hmm. church of sport. And we were driving, I was driving past and I saw them doing the renovations and it was just like fireworks went off in my brain. And I thought, oh, wow, I could replicate what Paul Hartunian had done. And that's what I ended up doing. I got my hands on a bunch of discarded wood. I wrote a press release. I very much just followed in Paul's uh, footsteps and it just so happened I thought I was unique and I had this idea that no one else had and it just so happened that another guy in Melbourne, Pete Williams, happened to be doing the same thing at the same time and the media actually got us confused because we were the same age and it was two Melbourne boys basically selling the Melbourne cricket ground. Now Pete, as you said, uh, became my arch nemesis. Uh, he, he was Pete Williams. But then after that, we, um, uh, as time passed, we, our, our paths kept on crossing. And then uh, we ended up forming a really great friendship. He came to my wedding and did the reading and 
our uh, wives say that we're very similar just in the way that we think and the way that we act and he's become an excellent friend but that was definitely a, a wild roller coaster I got on TV and radio and newspapers and um, as, as I promoted um, selling pieces of the MCG Melbourne man sells the MCG for 24.95 and how did that uh, project go for you I mean was that a successful uh, sort of first venture yeah, well, I, fortunately, the investment cost was extremely low. I think I spent probably not more than a couple of thousand dollars to get a ridiculous pile of wood and carpet. And I was storing it at um, Dad's place, so I didn't have any real cost there. The actual cost to ship it out um, was, you know, marginal. I took all the wood to um, a local framer who chopped it into pieces for me. I went up to Officeworks, which is kind of like our Office Max, and bought some little certificate paper, and then there was the postage. So um, those little pieces probably didn't cost me more than a few dollars to make, and then I was selling them for 25 bucks, so a very good margin there. And then I even upselled the people who purchased that $25 one. I had a, a bigger framed piece of carpet, which I was selling for $800. So the margins on all of that was huge. I didn't really have any overhead. Um, it was a, a, a little promotion, like it wasn't a business, um, but it was definitely a, a start. Mm. Uh, a one-time event that you were a part of, and both you and uh, Peter are in the books forever as a result of that. So <laughs> a good on you. I'm glad that you end up becoming friends. And boy, how small is the world, David? Uh, I reckon it could just about fit on a dime. I, I can. Yeah. It's amazing how those little things... Uh, happen where it's almost like the universe aligns and it just kind of opens up and connects different opportunities and meetings and things like that and you're just like wow this this really is a small world mm. so you you, uh, you did that venture in the meantime you kind of get into this technology world now you said you dropped out of school so did you go to university I ended up doing a diploma of financial markets. So it, it wasn't a traditional university course, but I was very much interested in the stock market and I'd done that weekend course and then realized that wasn't going to make me rich. So I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll go back and do a traditional diploma where I could learn about P&Ls and cash flows and the way that the stock market really functions and how and why companies do capital raising and all those sorts of things. Um, it, was, it was a great foundation. I look back on that now, particularly from you know, being in business now, uh, and I realize how important having a good understanding of the numbers are. Mm, yeah, and then, you know, a lot of us enjoy the numbers, but we like to have some people around us who like to enjoy them better than us. <laughs> yeah, I find that's almost the same as well with just about every aspect of business. A, a good business owner has a good handle on all of the different aspects. They're usually particularly strong in one or two areas and you really want to play to those strengths and then the aim of the game is then to find the other key team members or partners who can really nail those other areas that might not necessarily be a strength, um, whether it's financial or HR or management or what, whatever it is. You just need to find the yin to your yang. Mm, absolutely. So now you've got sort of in this technology and you just slipped in earlier on, oh, I went into SEO. So you're playing in this, putting this manual together, starting to understand technology. So how did this 
idea of having your own SEO business even fit into this? Well, they, they ended up making some changes in the Australian financial law. Uh, they came out with a rule that you had to be licensed to give what they called general advice. Now, general advice, just the wording there might give you a hint how sort of broad and sweeping it was. Basically, if anyone was saying anything financial, uh, they, they wanted you to be licensed or at least they had the right to chase after you. So um, we were putting out uh, some educational material on how to use this stock market package and even though it was to do with the software, um, we were worried that it would be classed as financial advice because this software told people when to buy stocks. So my business partner said, okay, well, um, I'm going to head in a different direction and I'd built up a significant part of the marketing side of the business and I built up a team. So here we were, that business had effectively just been closed down by this government regulation and I had the team. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? I, and we took the team and started applying everything that we knew in the hyper-competitive industry of stock market education and we started applying it to small business and we absolutely crushed it. Like it was just a case of right place at the right time. It was early days with SEO when you'd give me $1 and I could magically turn it into 10. And yeah, we, we just grew like wildfire. It was, it was an amazing time to just be around uh, the marketing industry. And uh, the, yeah, I, I operated in that business for 15 years. I, I worked uh, in it for about... Uh, 11 of those years and then the last few years I, I, I systemized it, stepped out and got a CEO. Mm, cool, cool. Now when you think about uh, that space, did you ever go and get some training for programming or that was, you were more the strategy guy? I, I definitely did a lot of self-education. There was um, uh, not a huge amount in the space at the time. So it was a lot of trial and error because that whole industry was being carved out. Like, I mean, we're kind of going back to, you know, early 2000s. So um, mm -hmm. as things were kind of just shaping, I was having to kind of learn on the spot and test things. So that was really the, the best way for me to do it is just to put something out into the market and then see what would stick. Um, but, but I, I kind of learned about different pieces, a little bit to do with the coding side of things, a little bit to do with um, the marketing side of things, the copy, the graphics. Like I very much felt like I had to become a, a jack of all trades um, that just, just to understand all of the pieces because there's, there's a lot that goes on online and, and making businesses work uh, online. Mm, mm, for sure. So what were some of the things that, and you know, we'll get into uh, your book, which is coming out here. <clears throat> Oddly enough, it's the same title as your website, Systemology. Yes. Yeah, shocking. Shocking, yes. yeah, David, that you would actually have the same. But, um, and of course, as we mess with you a little bit here this morning. Uh, with that, what were some of the things you learned? I mean, if you think about it, you were pretty young. You get into this uh, team, you're in a new space. What were some of the things you learned as an entrepreneur in those early days? Things that you did that you wish you didn't and other things that you would recommend other people consider? I think one of the biggest lessons I learned was most people, and myself included, 
start a business around something that they know very well. And this speaks very clearly to you know classic Michael Gerber and the e-myth, um, that idea, he calls it the entrepreneurial myth, the idea that just because you can do the thing, that means you think you can run a business that sells doing the thing. So for example, just because you can cut the lawn, you think you can run a lawn mowing business. Now, I knew how to do the SEO side of things and the digital marketing. So I trained effectively, subconsciously, I trained my staff to come to me whenever they had a problem. I trained my clients and prospects to come with me. Everybody wanted to come to me. I was the bottleneck in the business and I knew how to solve all of the problems and the business grew really well and we've achieved a certain amount of success by me just putting out all of the fires, solving the problems and so just kept on reinforcing to me that that was the right way to build the business. But what ended up happening is I ended up trapping myself in that business and I got stuck in it for probably about seven years too long because I just built this whole machine that was dependent on me. And I, it wasn't until we set up a, a sister company, Melbourne Video Production, that um, I really had a key insight, which is oftentimes it's best not to know how to do the thing. I had, um, when we set up Melbourne Video Productions, I didn't know how to work a camera. I didn't know how to edit a video. Uh, I think the closest I could do was use my phone to, to record a little short clip, but I, I didn't know how to run uh, a camera, which meant when we built that part of the business, I had to build it from day one, getting the right people into the right places, getting systems and processes and consistency and thinking about all of the different pieces. And that there was probably the biggest insight for me. And I think anyone, um, depending on where they're at in business, if you get the opportunity to start a little side hustle or even if it's just part of your existing business that you can get to a point where it makes money and it's not dependent on you, then that's when your thinking will evolve um, heavily. That, that was definitely a huge learning for me and kind of really set off the dominoes for me systemizing the business and, and stepping out of the, the operations in the SEO business. So how did you get yourself out of this uh, trap situation? Was it through systems or did you get somebody else in as a partner or? It, it was through systems. I It was strange. I intuitively knew that systems was the way and I know I, I um, gave you my earlier story. Um, there was a, another little side deviation in there. We opened a, a rock and roll clothing music store called Planet 13. And I know some of your listeners are from North America. So if I say the company that we were trying to emulate, they might be familiar. There was a store called Hot Topic. And it, um, they, they sold you know, music-related um, paraphernalia. And we were trying to be the Australian version of that. And we built that business up and we franchised it. We got it to three stores. But it, it again, it gave me all of this programming. It just kept on reinforcing what I already knew. You know, from my dad's early programming with the sheet, um, I knew systems were important. But in the digital agency, I, I came up with all these reasons why it wouldn't work. I told myself that, 
I was working in the digital space and things moved too quickly, so there's no point in writing systems because they'd get outdated. I was worried that I was going to have to create all of the systems. I was worried that systems would remove creativity and we, we worked in a very creative space. And I thought, even if I got systems in place, we work virtually, so my, my team's probably not going to follow them anyway. And all of this baggage is really what stopped me from systemizing that business for years. And it wasn't until uh, we found out we were pregnant and I thought, hey, I don't want to be that dad who's always too busy. I recognized I was working the ridiculously long hours and uh, evenings, mornings, weekends, and I just wanted to at least have the flexibility in the space to choose, whereas at that point in time I couldn't choose. And that's what set the, the dominoes off. And I started going deep into systemization and systemizing that business. I did end up recruiting from within, so I elevated, I suppose, promoted a, a team member, Melissa, who uh, ended up becoming my chief operating officer, and she sat uh, effectively alongside of me, and she was ultimately the one that really took over uh, and let me step out and run those systems and manage the team. Cool. So when you think about, you know, people in their lives, and so this could apply even <laughs> to, to the sheet that your dad's using with a seven-year-old, and is, you know, why, why do people not systemize when it seems to be pretty obvious? My son is a pilot. He's quite a creative guy. And I'm thankful when we go flying with him that he has a checklist. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying and he has disciplined himself as a very creative individual to use that checklist. So wh why is it that, um, you know, we see it in different businesses, in different applications, but a lot of times it's not, in, especially in small business for sure. Yeah, that right, like, is right to the crux of the problem uh, and where a lot of business owners get stuck. It's because oftentimes small business owners and founders, they're big picture people. They see a problem out there in the world. They decide to create a product or service to um, solve that problem and meet that demand. They get a business going. They're a hustler. They do whatever they need to to get the business off the ground. They usually move quickly, solve whatever is the, the biggest urgent problem right in front of them and they're not wired that way. There's, there's a, a blind spot for them. And the thing is with business, you get to a point that that personality is great to get a business off the ground and great to grow it to a certain size. You, you need that. But then to grow it through to that next level, you do need to bring in that systems detail orientated follow through. Occasionally, you will find someone with both. They're definitely more the exception than the rule, um, but maybe someone like your son's a really good example of getting the programming uh, early on around what's needed to be a pilot. And checklists are drummed into that industry because if you don't follow the checklist and you forgot something, people die. So, so there's real consequence for not doing it. Now, there isn't that level of consequence inside a small business, let alone the small business where the business owner started that business for freedom and they didn't want to be told what to do and they wanted to kind of figure it out. Oftentimes, 
they they think that systems remove that creativity and that freedom, uh, which is actually a myth when you dig into it. But but um, it's that false belief that really stops them from doing it and then also ends up being what traps them and, and the ironic thing is it's the systems that bring the freedom so mm -hmm. so that's how and why they get stuck yeah well most I mean even um, Drucker and Deming and some of these other ones said it's not people that fail it's systems that fail so when when in one of the things that you had submitted to us you had talked about the seven myths of business processes and why, why most people fail at systemization. What beyond have you, uh, that you've already shared, is in that list of seven? Uh, the few at the start, one of them is that you're going to need to create hundreds of systems. There's a real misconception, because people think McDonald's, whenever they think of a systemized business, that's the poster child. So everybody compares themselves to them, and they think of the, you know, the, these big, thick manuals that, McDonald's has that explains every facet and every various part to the business so that you can get a 15-year-old to come in and flip a burger and you've got the exact detailed instructions. And then that, what that does is that's what someone thinks is a systemized business. But the truth of the matter is uh, you only need a about 10 to 15 systems. If you just document 10 to 15 core systems, you can have a significant impact on the business. Uh, the, the other myths are things like the business owner needs to be the one that creates the systems and that's because the business owner, they've solved all of the problems in the past so they just assume that they're going to have to do this themselves but the truth of the matter is that you, if you've got a small team, whether it's some contractors, freelancers, part-timers, full-timers, they know how to do things. So if we can find the best person on your team then we can record them doing the whatever the task is and then get that documented. Um, and that kind of leads into another myth, which is that systems can be very time consuming to make. But the, the secret to it is to two things. One, make it a two person job and one person has the knowledge and you record them doing the task. And then the other person does the documentation. So you, you make it easy for your team to create them. Um, and I know we touched on a couple of other uh, myths and there are things like that you're going to need complex tools and things like you need, I, I mentioned just before, you're going to have to systemize like McDonald's. But again, think of McDonald's. McDonald's is uh, has been in this game for 60 years. They've been systemizing since day dot and to try and compete with them would be like trying to compete with an Olympic athlete without any sort of training or build-up. Like you, you, you want to systemize how McDonald's did 60 years ago, not how McDonald's is today. Right. And, you know, a much bigger kind of complex business in many cases. So, you know, when you think about the checklist post, and by the way, I've uh, met Michael Gerber in person when he came out with the book in the, in the 90s. So uh, how about that? Because KPMG sponsored him to come out to be a speaker across North America. What I found interesting, because I had one of those moments where the universe just opened up and uh, presented a, a magnificent opportunity to me. It's, I talk about it in the book with Michael Gerber. And uh, what ended up happening, as I did some work with him, and I won't spoil the story in, in the book, but I realized that 
the the dirty little secret of Michael Gerber is that he is not a systems guy as far as enjoying writing detailed documented processes. He is a creator of the first order. He is amazing at creating and, and bringing things out of his brain and then making them you know reality in in the world and but he doesn't like process yet he is a systems guy like everybody knows him in business as the godfather of, of business systems at least for small business anyway and that's really what gave me the permission to to go oh you don't have to be a systems person necessarily to have a a business that's centered around business systems like it, it's about having a creator and it's also about having that organized person so for me the, the huge opportunity that happened from systemizing after we systemized and i stepped out of the operations and melissa was running the business this is when the universe came knocking and i got an email out of the blue from a lady called luz delia gerber and I, I didn't know her first name, but I definitely knew that surname, Gerber. So all the email said was call me. So that's exactly what I did. Uh, I knew that the Gerbers were um, on the West Coast in, in the US and it was early morning for me there afternoon. I called and basically I, I got onto Luz Delia and she told me, look, Michael's just turned 80. He's written the final book in his E-Myth series called Beyond the E-Myth. And uh, for the first time, we've decided to not go through a traditional publisher. All of the previous books were through HarperCollins. And she said, oh, we want to uh, publish our own book. And she happened to see a book that I launched, my first book before Systemology. My, my book before that was called Authority Content. And she'd come across that book launch, watched it, loved it, and then said, I want you to launch Mike's book. And wow. she said, there's one small catch. It's going to uh, take three months of your life. It is going to be full time and you're not really going to be able to work on anything else. Now, I put myself in a situation where the business was operating without me. Quite literally, you know, a month or two before I felt like I'd finally completed that piece and then the universe introduced me to Luz Delia uh, and I said to her, I would love to do it. Not only that, I will volunteer for the position just for the opportunity to work with Michael and get mentored uh, by Michael. And long story short, um, I helped him launch that book. It became an Amazon bestseller within 24 hours. It was the first book for him that got to that status in that time. Uh, and uh, at the end of that book launch, he invited me over to an event called The Dreaming Room in Carlsbad, California. And I hopped on a plane, flew over. I happened to bring a couple of friends with me who uh, helped out with the book launch as well. And we ended up renting out one of those amazing houses in um, Carlsbad that basically hangs off the side of a rock and overlooks the ocean. And we attended this workshop, The Dreaming Room, with Michael for three days. And then at the end of that, um, they had a mastermind where they pretty much invited in the who's who of business. They wanted to have uh, Tony Robbins facilitate the event. It was a, a mastermind to talk about the future legacy of, of Michael's work. And it was um, at the hotel where we were staying in Michael's presidential suite. And uh, we spent a couple of days there. But at the 11th hour, 
they couldn't get uh, Tony to facilitate. Uh, so they said, we don't really have a facilitator. So I stuck up my hand and said, oh, I'll facilitate the group. So here I am not knowing Michael more than, you know, four months earlier. I'm facilitating a group uh, to decide the future direction uh, of his legacy. And at the end of all of that, uh, Luz Delia Gerber and Michael were so impressed, they said, um, we would like you to run the company for us. Um, now, he's an Australian guy with a young family uh, back in Australia. There's no chance that my wife would move to America, so I had to politely decline. But all of that for me was possible through the business systems and building a business that works without me. Because most business owners, if, if they had the... Oprah of their industry come and knock on their door and say, I would love to work with you on your on a dream project. Most business owners couldn't do it. They couldn't step away mm -hmm. from their business for more than a couple of days without the business falling in a heap. Uh, but I was able to see the opportunity and take advantage of the opportunity because I built a business that wasn't dependent on me. And that's really what's inspired me to write systemology and get the word out and help other business owners sort of achieve that same level of freedom. Cool. Well, I didn't anticipate that story, David. You had that <laughs> buried somewhere in there. It's, that's not listed in your submission whatsoever. You've been holding <laughs> well, out on I, I, I like to save that one. It, it's, it just speaks right to the importance of systems. And as, as someone who... Uh, knows Michael Gerber and you've seen him speak like uh, and you've been in business for quite some time time longer than I have you probably have a real appreciation for that I, I sometimes tell that story to a younger audience and I'm not that that old myself I'm coming up to 40 but I tell that to a younger audience and they're like who's this Michael Gerber <laughs> but but I, I know people who've been in business really uh, appreciate Michael's work because he did transform that industry Mm. Well, like I said, it was actually the early 90s that we met in Vancouver when he was speaking there. Uh, he wouldn't remember me whatsoever. But then we, um, the company I was working with at that time, that president reached out and got, you know, one of their consultants and all the checklists and stuff like that. So we're a little familiar with his system. And, yeah, I could see that it wouldn't be Michael who'd want to be able to do it. Now, if you can believe it, David, because we've just had this delightful chat, we're already down to our last few minutes of the show. And so you have this book, Systemology, and you know where can people get that book? Yes, so it is on Amazon, or if you head to systemology.com forward slash book, it'll have all the links there for the audio version, or if you want to get a, a hardcover printed copy as well. Um, and there's some other links on there as well. If you've got questions, you can get me on social media. Happy to answer those. I've got a, a podcast, Business Process, Processes Simplified. It's, it's very different from this one. I just focus on the systems and the processes in business, and I have um, guests come on and, sh and share those processes. So pretty much everything about me, if the idea of business systems interests you, you'll get it at systemology.com forward slash book. Thank you for that. Now, uh, before we depart, uh, certainly want to capture what last couple of uh, pieces of wisdom do you want to share with the audience here today? And the other thing is, um, David, is 
Now, how does this apply to my personal life? I mean, if I'm listening to this and I don't own my own business, can this idea even, I mean, outside of a checklist for your seven-year-old, uh, can this apply to my own personal life? For sure. There's a, uh, I happened to do a TEDx talk in the Netherlands where I talked about life systems. Uh, I had the good fortune to do a, a TEDx youth um, again, through a series of these non-linear events where an opportunity popped up into my lap and I followed it, um, I, I got to speak on this TEDx stage and I remember putting that, that together uh, and thinking, right, how am I going to catch the attention uh, of this younger audience to impress upon them the importance of systems? And I talked about this idea of a travel checklist and how the way most people pack when they go on holidays is they go, okay, what do I need to take? Well, I have to take my toothbrush, I have to take socks, I have to take you know, my T-shirts, whatever it may be. And then they go, what else do I have to take? What else do I have to take? And that's their system for the way that they pack when they go away on holiday. But then inevitably and obviously, that is a real poor system that means that you're going to forget something. You're probably still at the airport thinking, oh, did I bring my iPhone charger or did I leave that at home? And uh, because you've got a poor system, not only does it take you more time to pack, it then also means that you're worried all the way through that you've forgotten something. And that obviously is a poor system. A much better system would simply be to write a little checklist and every time that you go traveling you just keep on adding to it till you have a checklist that you can just run through and that frees your brain up so that when you're at the airport or once you've packed you can just focus on enjoying the moment of the holiday and getting ready and getting going and you'll save time. Now that is a very small example but your life is a collection of these systems and if you layer those systems on top of each other uh, you'll end up saving a truckload of time. You'll end up uh, reducing the stress. And you know, if if you are in business, it'll improve your profits. So it's it's an area that you want to master. It's very similar to Ken's son, um, who was a creative who mastered systems um, for, for becoming a pilot. Um, they are a game changer, and it, it's something that. You want to make urgent and important. You don't want to keep putting it off, going, yeah, I'll get to that later. Because systems, they're, mm. they're there whether or not you realize it or not. You, you, you just have poor systems if you, if you don't recognize it. And that doesn't mean that you're immune from the results of those systems. Um, you're still going to feel the effect of it, whether or not you're conscious of, of it or not. So become aware of them and then start to work those systems and really shape those systems because that's ultimately what produces the result you're looking for. Mm. Well, thank you for that. And, and uh, David, I mean, when we think about life, um, I can really create a lot of mental and emotional freedom by having these things in place, can't I? That's really the biggest thing for me. It's about creating space. And whenever I talk to business owners, uh, that's what I, I talk about why you would want to systemize. It's to create that space which then gives you an opportunity to think. It gives you an opportunity to see opportunities when they present themselves and take advantage of them because you're handling the parts of business and your life that need to happen. 
there are certain things that need to happen consistently and they need to happen in a certain way. So if we can help those to happen a bit more automatically, that then frees you up to think about other things. And that speaks to that myth that we were talking about, that business systems remove creativity. The truth of the matter is it does the opposite because it handles all the minutiae, which means you then have the space to be creative. So again, mm. uh, you, you've got to systemize. Well, David, I can't believe it. We're already out of time. So thanks for hanging out with us today. Ah, the pleasure was all mine. Well, uh, here we are. Melbourne has been on the air. So if you want to find out more about David's book, go to systemology.com. So the word system and then O-L-O-G-Y.com. Get David's book. Find out more about it. Find out the seven myths of business processes and why most people fail. You know, all of us need it. And actually, now that um, I've done this show with David, I, I said, man, I got to get a couple more checklists in place. So I'm feeling accountable as a result of uh, David didn't put the pressure on me. I put it on myself. And as always, we thank you for being a Secrets of Success listener and spending your most valuable commodity with us. And that is your time. If you like what we're doing, just please pass it on, share it, like it. Um, let somebody else know about Secrets of Success. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.